Welcome to the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. My name is John Gordon. I'm here with co-hosts Mari Cleveland. Hello, Mari. Hello, John. And Craig Wiesmeyer. Hey, buddy. We have an awesome topic today. We're on the topic of marriage. Go figure in the family room. We've had the conversations <laughs> about marriage. But we have an amazing guest, an amazing topic. Uh, as we prepared for this, the more I thought, the deeper it went, and, and the more revelations that, that came out of this. I walked away wondering, where was this 40 two years ago, 43 years ago, as Barb and I were preparing for marriage, because I would argue we were fairly well catechized and missed so much of this. What what was yeah. your guys' take on it? Yeah, for me, I found so much hope in this because as I read it, there were things that were light bulbs that were going off that mm -hmm. I never thought about. And it just gave me so much hope just because recognizing how much more power God has put into the sacrament than I ever realized in mm -hmm. a way to, that we have this opportunity. But you know what I saw is, so George and I got married 24 years ago, but right now I actually have two young women who are, one's my goddaughter and one is my um, other best friend's daughter. They are both in pretty serious relationships. And I thought, I can't wait to share some of this as they are prepping for their own marriage. Yeah. Craig, how about you? No, I look at it. I thought there was profound um, truth in this that was not so complicated that a simpleton like me wouldn't <laughs> kind of understand. Agreed, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I got to be honest, there were some challenges in here to me and how I've approached my marriage and mm -hmm. how I've approached, you know, uh, my thoughts on it that um, even this late in the game for me, uh, 32 years later, by the grace of God, I think will have a positive impact and can translate into people in our lives that, I mean, look at this book is going to be a Christmas gift mm -hmm. for a lot of people I know. Um, so I'm happy that we were the first and on the forefront of this. Yeah, look at you. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're, I, we've all this yammering going on. We definitely want to get to our guests. And let's, before we get to our guests, let's start in prayer. Yes, please. Perfect. Would you? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we always come before you filled with gratitude and, and always in awe of, of your sovereignty, of your providence, and the way you care. And, and Father, we know, we know, we feel it, that the battle over the family rages. The battles in our life rage. And and this isn't something that we want to shrink from. We're, we're glad to be in the battle. We are glad to bring our guests, Father Altier, to the front with us and, and, and engage in this battle. There's so much good to be done, and there's so many fights to fight. We just ask that you would be with us and open our minds and hearts during this conversation. And, and Father, we would ask that you would make clear through our guest what it is you would have us and our listeners understand and that you would let the seeds of wisdom fall on fertile ground so that they might produce the fruit that you would have it produce. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 The Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Way to go again, John. That was beautiful. Yeah. You are, phew, wow, this guy God is solid. Good. God is good. Guy's solid over here. God. We are blessed to have Father Robert Altier here. He's written a book that's coming out soon called God's Plan for Your Marriage. We're going to let him explain the book, but like we've said, it's a profound book. And you may know Father because he served in the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis since his ordination in 19... I don't want to say it's 89, so he's been a priest for more than a few years. He's lectured throughout the Twin Cities, but he's best known 
uh, for being on EWTN in his series called The Fundamentals of Catholicism. And he's had a deep devotion to the Eucharist and the Blessed Virgin, which um, definitely going to come out in this interview. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Father, we'd love to welcome you into the family room. So blessed to have you here. Well, thank you. It's a great blessing to be here. And in that, we're going to dive right in. After, you know, if I remember correctly, you've done marriage prep for a number of years, but you've never written a book. And I think you've said that this book um, has had an unusual inspiration and um, came about in kind of a unique way compared to a lot of other books. Can you dive into your inspiration and why this point in history you think it was it was to be written? Well, yeah. So let me let me couch that first to be able to say. I never thought of writing a book. I have dyslexia. Mm -hmm. So writing a book was not my idea. And uh, I explained the whole thing in the introduction. They took it all out. Um, I I say I I think I used the backspace key about as many times as I used the space bar. Uh, So, you know, but when Our Lady wants something, Our Lady gets it. And so we have a book. Uh, So here's here's actually the, the truth of what happened in February of 2019. Uh, I was awakened in the middle of the night and basically told, here's what you should do for couples preparing for marriage. Well, I was not on my mind. I, at that point, I'd been preparing couples for marriage for 30 years. And, uh, and so it's like, okay, well, that's pretty cool. And let's go back to bed. The <laughs> next morning when I sat down for prayer, I'm used to just, you know, sitting in the silence in prayer and uh, and all of a sudden, these beautiful thought, well, a beautiful thought about marriage was just flooding into my mind. And I apologized to our Lord, and I, I said, I, I'm sorry, but I know myself well enough to know that if I don't write this down, I'm just going to spend my whole time of prayer thinking about this because it's so beautiful. <laughs> so you basically so told him to down. hold on, hold on for a second while <laughs> I write this down. <laughs> well, well, we'll get back to prayer in a minute, but let me write this down. You know, otherwise, it's going to be a huge distraction. <laughs> So I wrote it down. No sooner had I set the pen down and got back to prayer, and the next thought was in my head. And stuff I have never thought of in my life. It was so beautiful, and I wrote that down, and the same thing happened. And for every day, I I couldn't tell you what day it was that 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 thing happened in the middle of the night, you know, first or second week of February someplace. And with three exceptions, when I just went to prayer and everything was as usual, which means just nothing, um, <laughs> for the rest of the month of February, every single day, it was just one insight after the next. And I wrote it all down. The 28th of February came, and it all ended, and we were just back to prayer as usual. Wow. But then I, uh, the question was, what do you want me to do with this? It's way too much. I had, at that point, 16 pages of single-space notes when I oh. typed it all out. And I said, what, what do you want me to do with all this? It's way more than what I can go over with a couple in pre-marriage stuff. And, and then you know, the idea of a book came, and it's like, there's no way. And it's like, like they said, if our lady wants something, she gets it. She's a mom, and, uh, <laughs> and she wanted this. So here we were now in Lent, and the busiest time for a priest, and I'm writing a book in Lent. Wow. And it all happened. It was. It was. It's like this. This just can't be. Well, it was, and and it is. And so, the reason it's coming out now is I had sent it to to some theologians, 
people with doctorates in marriage and, and family because it's got all this brand new stuff in it and wanted to make sure that everything was in good order. And But I said to them, you know, the third chapter is the make it or break it one. If the third chapter cuts muster, then, then we're set, you know, well, the, the priest that I had sent it to was very, very busy with all kinds of different things, and I didn't want to pressure him. And he thought that he had sent it all back, and he didn't, and I didn't want to call him and pressure him. So there it sat for like two years. And, uh, oh, wow. and so finally, I contacted him, and, and he sent it over and made the adjustments. And, and then after that, I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? Because... It's got all this brand new stuff in it. Who do I really talk to to make sure that this is in good order? And I thought, well, the church's highest authority on marriage and canon law is Cardinal Burke. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm just going to take a risk. I'm going to reach out, see if he'd be willing to read this. And because if he says it's okay, then I know it's okay. And, uh, And God bless him. He was willing to do that, and he did. And he signed off on it, and I said, "Praise the Lord!" Now I know that truly this this is this is heaven's response to what's happening in marriage. Mm-hmm. So, to get to your other question, then where is marriage at? It is severely under attack right now mm-hmm. on a variety of levels. Uh, you know, when we look at it just in general, only 20% of marriages are even happening in a church. Wow! And you've got lots of people who aren't even getting married but lots of Catholics who are not in a valid marriage because they've got all these ideas about what they think a wedding ought to be, you know, out at the park or at the beach or whatever, and and they've lost the concept of the holiness of this beautiful sacrament uh, because it's been so denigrated in our society. But when Sister Lucia, the visionary from Fatima, said that the, the final battle between heaven and hell is going to be over marriage and family, Uh, that's where we're at right now in my mind. And what I really believe this book is, is heaven's response. What you'll find throughout history, you look back through the history of the church, the the devil attacks different areas at different times, and God raises people up to come to the the defense of, of whatever is being attacked, and then the theology gets worked out. Well, the theology of marriage has never really had to be developed because it's never been attacked. It's always been there. It's the foundation of society. It's the foundation of the church. We all grew up in families. You you get married, you have your own family, and and it just passes on from generation to generation. It's never been much of a problem. Now it is. And so now God is coming to the defense of marriage and and providing, and this is my own opinion, but um, things like what's in this book, as I said, there are so many things I have never thought of in my life that are in that book, and I think just so beautiful and so profound. Um, and and so so that's that. I, I think this is heaven's first volley, if you will, in this battle uh, to be able to to come to the defense of marriage and help, especially married people, to know the holiness and the beauty of the sacrament that is theirs. Amen. Mm, that is beautiful. You know, and Father, as you said that, I could not help but think, and I know John and Craig and I were looking at each other because God put a lot of that same 
uh, desire, um, some of that same recognition, I guess, on our hearts and some of that same desire to be warriors here in this battle. When we started this um, this radio show, The Family Room, and we, we looked at some of the same things, the statistics around marriage, the brokenness of families, and the words, the very prophetic words of Sister Lucia as she, when she talked about how um, one of the final battles was going to be Satan attacking marriages and families. And so mm-hmm. we too feel like we just, none of us <laughs> had any experience mm-hmm. in this, just like you being dyslexic and God calling you to write a book. Uh, we were not radio show people. We all have other jobs and God asked us to step in and we have. And, and then he does beautiful things like opening the door to you for you to be able to hear from Cardinal Burke and opening the door for us to be able to engage with you. And so it's just so clear that God is, um, God has been so gracious with all of this. And we know that you've also had great support from other people that um, our listeners would recognize from being on the show. We had Dan and Stephanie Burke. We've had been blessed to have them here on our show, and we've been blessed to have Dr. Bob Schutz on our show. And we know that both those, um, both both of all those people and their ministries are great supporters of this book as well, God's Plan for, for Your Marriage. So that's great. Amazing when one of those is uh, the this book is critical for the survival of marriage. So for those of our listeners who may have just dialed in, we are blessed to have Father Altier on the phone with us today. And we're talking about his new book, which is coming out from Sophia Press. I want to make sure we mention that in our in our friends over there. God's Plan for Your Marriage, an exploration of holy matrimony from Genesis to the wedding feast of the Lamb, where he, where he uh, through the intercession and the inspiration of Our Lady, tie it all together. And just one thing I wanted to say, which I thought was awesome in your book, was history has given us two assurances, which I think is amazing, that an area, <clears throat> excuse me, the area that's being attacked ends up stronger, and God always brings good out of evil, and then God also raises up people for that fight. And I think we're seeing that in so many areas today that God is going after pouring his graces onto our marriages like maybe we've never been uh, aware of before. And I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, definitely. And and I think you're absolutely right. And <clears throat> I think what's going to happen, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, what's what's happened with marriage is that, you know, over throughout history, you know, people raise a family, they have their children, their children have families and raise their children. And marriage obviously has to be lived on the natural level. But I think what's happened with a lot of marriages is that's where it has stayed. They go to mass together. Maybe they'll pray together, but they they really don't understand the spiritual depth and foundation of their marriage because it's never been taught to them. And that's what God is doing. So if couples can really come to understand the profound nature of their sacrament— This is going to transform not only their marriage, but marriage in general. And and we are going to have truly holy marriages, which will bring truly holy families. And that is going to raise saints. And that's uh, the best way to raise a saint is to be one. And and so so I think that's that's where we're headed. And we're going to see some beautiful, profound things happen in marriages if people will accept the truth as God has has revealed it uh, for this beautiful sacrament. And you did a beautiful job of of 
of laying that out in such profound ways for all of us in this book, and that's exactly where we want to start. Your, you know, this um, part of the, your title is an exploration of holy matrimony from Genesis to the wedding feast of the Lamb, and so you do start with the truths that are laid out in Genesis, and in your first chapter, it's even called "In the Beginning," um, and you explain something that we all felt as we read it that is very critical for all of us to understand especially due to some of the teachings that maybe have differed over the years, maybe teachings that came about that differed from the Catholic Church's teachings, but the, the teachings that some of us have all bought into about the fall. And I think that we didn't understand this, but this is something that you say in your book that I found so incredibly profound that I highlighted it over and over. And you said that at the fall, Adam and Eve were not cursed. Satan was cursed. The ground was cursed. But Adam and Eve, although impacted by original sin, were not cursed. And that idea really brings us such hope. Why is it so important for us to understand that truth that you spoke about, that our nature and our dignity are still as God designed them to be? Well, there, there are a couple of points with that. First of all, <clears throat> just that point, there are lots of people who think that because of what Adam and Eve did, that, that we are all cursed. So mm-hmm. if you read the, the passage very carefully, as you said, it's in Genesis chapter 3, and, and Satan gets cursed, and God curses the ground so that it's no longer bring, going to bring up the food for it by itself, but now it's going to bring up thorns and thistles. Mm-hmm. But Adam and Eve were not cursed. Humanity has not been cursed. And, and that is so important and then following from that to understand what follows, our nature has not changed. That was Martin Luther's problem. Uh, in fact, it's the biggest difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. If you understand that one point of the view of human nature, Martin Luther believed human nature was depraved, you know, and it is indeed not. If we can understand that one point that we still have all of the dignity that God created us with. That has not changed. Yes, our, our nature is indeed a fallen human nature now, but Jesus took a human nature to himself. He can't take a depraved human nature. That's not going to work. You know, It, it had to be what God created. And if he took a, a, a perfect human nature to himself and the rest of us don't have that, we're not saved. This has profound consequences, but also within a marriage for a couple to recognize the dignity of one another. Of course, we have to recognize our own dignity before we can recognize the dignity of the other. Mm -hmm. But then following from that, the dignity of your children, because they're created in the image and likeness of God. And they have that same human nature as you and I have. And they have the same dignity that we have. And so that is is such an important thing for people to understand. And the devil has just wreaked havoc Mm -hmm. because of that lie that that human nature is worthless. It's it's destroyed. And it is is not. Mm -hmm. So, Father, following directly from that, that's foundational. So then that means God's original intention for marriage was never destroyed, fallen. It remains intact. So in a sentence... What was God's original intention for marriage, and how has that survived all of that? And just to even point that out, you know, Jesus is the one who added a line. It's, it's in Matthew and Mark's gospel. It's the only place in the entire Bible that the line comes up, and it's simply what God has joined, but no man put asunder. Mm-hmm. 
But when talking about marriage, Jesus said from the beginning, that's where the, ten, the title of that, that chapter comes from. And, and so in order to understand what God's intention is in marriage, we have to go back to the beginning. The two become one. Yeah. And so there is a fullness. So, so Adam had in himself a fullness of humanity. And then God created Eve. And so Adam lost something that he had. Now each is a, the fullness of a human person, but not the fullness of humanity. It is only when the two come back together, male and female, that the fullness of humanity is there. And so not in one person now, but two persons, but in one reality. The two become one. And the fullness of humanity is there, supporting one another, building one another up, helping one another, perfecting one another. And it is that love, then, that brings the unity that is God's intention in marriage, which, of course, is what a couple vows on the day that they get married. And then flowing from that, the, the fruit of that love, which is children, which is the living expression of that love. And then to teach that love, you know, that, that, that they're going to see modeled in, the, in their parents, but that they're also going to experience in the way that they themselves are treated and to build them up to be saints, to be able to start their own family or whatever vocation it is to which God is calling them. But that foundation has to come in the family, and, and that foundation has to start with their dignity. Yeah, it, it all is intertwined and, and so profound. So it just seems like such an obvious truth, but when we start bringing that to the next point and the next point and the next point, it has profound consequences. Well, I think it's important, too, one of the things you said in the book, and I think we've all lost it in a lot of ways, was, you know, you read the creation story and you hear about God created this and it was good. God created this and it was good. The God, But we fail sometimes to catch that key point when he created man meaning man and woman, when he said Mm -hmm. it is very good. And it was made, we were the only things made in his actual image and likeness. Correct. And in that, I think you point out profoundly, though, the love relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. the giving, Mm -hmm. the taking, the receiving, and how Adam and Eve and we are all intended to be in that same kind of relationship with God and with each other. Correct. Yeah. And and so so to your point, you know, the God the only day God stopped in in creation in the first chapter of Genesis was the sixth day. He created animals and then he stopped and it was all all good. The second half of the sixth day he created us in his own image and likeness, then it was very good. And that's the only difference was the creation of the human person, but as you said made in his image and likeness, God is love. God is life. God is truth. We are made, we have a mind as, as persons. That's the definition of a person, a living being with a mind and a free will. Mm-hmm. So we have a mind that is made for truth. We have a will that is made for love. We have a soul that is the principle of life. So we are made in the image and likeness of God, but we then are called as the Trinity that the three with that perfect love are one God, even though it is three persons, there is only one God. So two in a marriage, there are two persons, but one reality, the two become one. And so we are called to share in the love of the Trinity. We're called to imitate that love. But in a marriage, it is a man, a woman, and God. Mm. So there are still three that are there. 
because it's God who unites you. That's the miracle that happens in marriage, is, you know, is that, that the two start out as two totally separate entities. Now they come together, and God recreates them to make them one. And, and there is a miracle in that sense that happens to be able to unite the couple in love, and it's God who's at the center of that. Yeah. yeah. As you said that, I was actually taken back 24 years ago to my own wedding um, and the, in my marriage sacrament. And because we had that reading, we had the reading, I believe, from Ecclesiastes about the, the three chords and that it was mm-hmm. that third chord was God. And I remember being very, very intentional and aware that as that those words were read that god was that third strand in our our marriage and that he needed Mm -hmm. to be there for our marriage really to be what he intended it to be and for us to have the strength to go forward um, in our marriage one of the things i know father you said that you really hope that this book um is used for people who are preparing for marriage, but of course, people who are in marriages as well. And one of the things you did so beautifully is you added reflection questions in your book. And so just like you were just talking about us recognizing the need for um, us, our love to reveal the, the Trinity, one of the reflection questions, for example, is how does your love for your spouse reveal each person of the Trinity's love for the other persons? And what about your spouse's love for you? Um, since we only have a minute and a half before our break or so, um, the guys are breathing a sigh of relief because I was about to make them answer those, that question. <laughs> but I Quick think it's, to the break. Exactly. But I think it's great to, to realize that there's some beautiful questions to ponder both individually as as well as a couple, um, as you go through each one of the chapters in your book, you've got some beautiful reflection questions. So, um, makes it very practical. Yes. Like it you doesn't, would, it's not in the ether. You would think there was only one chapter in this book, given the fact that we've been on it for the whole first half of the show, <laughs> but there's eight chapters in the book that, that, that delve into many other details and we'll get to those as much as we can after the break. Yes, we will. So we've got about a minute before break, and I know this is kind of a, a big question, but is there is there a way that you can just give us one thought on, um, we, we talk about how the enemy is seeking to destroy marriages. Why? Why is he doing that? Because marriage is the foundation of both the church and society. Yes. But also because, you know, there there is a profound hatred not only just against humanity, but against women in particular, because mm-hmm. his head is going to get crushed by a woman. And the woman is the foundation of the family. The woman is the heart. The man is the head. So the woman's the foundation. So if he can break the foundation of mm-hmm. marriage, then he breaks the foundation of society and he breaks the foundation of the church and he saves his ugly head from getting squished. Wow. But it's not going to work because there is one wonderful lady who is coming to the aid of marriage, who was a married woman herself, and she's going to crush his ugly head. Amen. Amen. Wow. Okay. That's the way to go into the break right there. I've got goosebumps. I'm sure all of you do as well. (laughs) Please stay tuned and come back with us here in the family room. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on The Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Healthcare providers should care about health, right? Why then has Planned Parenthood's actual women's healthcare services dropped over 72% in the last 10 years? Abortion is not healthcare. Abortion kills. 
Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States with 700 abortion facilities. And in the 2019 fiscal year, they ended 345,672 innocent American lives. This is an increase of 13,000 in the last year and 25,000 over the last two years. To put that in context, that is about half the population of Washington, D.C. Why then does the United States government continue to send the millions of taxpayer dollars in funding and grants year after year? If we don't stop them, no one will. Let's love God by loving life. Show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Versprite on AM 1160 The Quest. You've been hearing our wonderful guest, Father Robert Altier, Father wrote an amazing book called God's Plan for Your Marriage, and we are going to have a link to how you can get that book from Sophia Press on our in our show notes. You can also just go to Sophia Press and you'll see his book as well. We are so thankful for, to have him with us. Father, we always ask all of our guests here in the family room about their favorite family room memory, and it can be a memory that you had as a child growing up in your family of origin, or or it can be a memory um, of current days of fam- times you've spent in family rooms as an adult. So do you have something that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, actually, there are two things that, that come to mind, and I'll just keep them in brief. But uh, but one is the beginning, and one is the end. And <laughs> so I'm the second oldest of eight kids, and so my youngest brother was born when I was 16. You're the the the, the beauty and the love of a child being brought home, and you know, and kids love babies. It's so beautiful, and and how just remembering and and you know just the how everybody wants to pass the baby and everybody wants to hold the baby and, and, and so on. And just everybody together, just, just in love with this little child. It's so beautiful. 
And then at the end, my mom actually just died a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and just remember everybody there united together around her. And, and so just, again, the beauty of, of one coming in, the beauty of one going home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can only trust that our Lord would look at her who gave birth to, to eight kids and uh, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm. And That's beautiful. So, so just a beautiful thing. Now, very beautiful. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thank you. For yeah, that. what a blessing. And I'm sh- I am, I'm sure that God did say that to your mom because it's amazing that um, being a mom myself, <laughs> I can't imagine having eight children. And wow, that is absolutely amazing. Such a blessing. Um, one of the things right before our break uh, we were talking about was we were talking about how this book is going to be such an amazing tool for those people who are preparing for marriage. But then um, during their break, while our listeners were listening to wonderful um, <laughs> um uh, stuff, uh, stuff, yeah, commercials and things. <laughs> to, uh, Dave, I don't know what you played for them during that stuff. time, but we got to start talking to Father Altier um, and have him coach and counsel each of us in our <laughs> twenty, thirty, and forty years of marriage here. And Father, you started to tell us how um, you know you're hoping that this book can also be of help to us and and what we've dealt with. Um, you were having you had some profound thoughts around that. Would you share some of your thoughts around how this book can also help those of us who've been married for a while? Yeah, and before I do, so let me just uh, put it into into that context for you. I've been using this, uh, even though it's not published yet, I've been using it with the couples I'm working on in preparing them for marriage, and I've had a number of people read it uh, who are married, and so far, the people who are married, they look at it and go, whoa, this is amazing. The couples who are preparing for marriage are like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> and so it's not reality for them yet. And, and so I think it's actually going to have much more of an effect on married people than it is on the pre-married people. And, and, but my hope is for the ones who are preparing, they'll keep it on their shelf in three years from now when they start running into some trouble. They can pick it up and say, whoa, this is really amazing. You know, why didn't we pay attention when we were getting formed? You know, but anyway... The thing that we were talking about, it's, it's interesting because, because one of you has been married in the years in the 20s, another one in the 30s, another one in the 40s. And, and so if you take this information that is in this book and now you apply it, you know, I mean, as, as one of you said, where was this 42 years ago? You know, <laughs> well, you know, the, the truth was always there, but it just hadn't yet been fully revealed in this way. And so if you're going to say, okay, I've been living this marriage 20, 30, 40 years, now I've got this new information, and we want to bring this into our marriage, that's going to change your marriage relationship. Mm. And it's going to change it for the better because it's, it's going to be lived in, in a greater truth. It's going to be lived in a greater fullness. But the problem with a lot of married people is they just want the status quo. Yeah. Mm. Don't. Don't upset the apple cart. I'm, I just want everything to be the way it is. And, and so if you're going to really inculcate what is in this book, it's going to change your marriage. And it's going to change your marriage for the better. But that also probably means there's going to be some tension for a little bit of time as those changes are made because in marriage, change doesn't come easily. Mm. And that's part of our, you know, the effect of original sin in all of us. So God wants your marriage to be holy. And, and, and that's really what it's all about. It is holy matrimony. He wants this to be holy. That's what he desires for married couples. So if you're willing 
to really take this seriously, to live what it is that was vowed and not just maintain the status quo and go day to day and live in the same house together, but really love one another, really develop that relationship, really enter into the unity of the three persons of the Trinity and bring that into your own marriage. Even when you go to Mass and you receive Holy Communion, and one of the points that's made in the book is that the two sacraments most closely related symbolically are marriage and the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. They're obviously on two entirely different levels, but the symbolism is the same. And so what we can say about marriage and what happen, or what we can say about the Eucharist and what happens when you receive Holy Communion, now apply that to your marriage. So the disposition you have and the disposition Jesus has in giving himself to you and you receiving that gift of our Lord, and then hopefully as you pray, you're giving yourself to him. So it's to giving and to receiving. That's exactly what marriage is. Yeah. And so when you go home and you are with your spouse, hopefully that's the disposition you have toward one another, that it is two people seeking the good of the other, two people giving to one another, two people receiving from the other. Obviously, that's a beautiful thing. Like I say, that's probably rather different from what happens in most marriages. And, and so that's going to require real change uh, in a good way from, from both people. I think what God is, is really desiring is, is for married people to live what it is that they have been called to do in this marriage. Mm-hmm. John, you've got a thought in your head you've been holding on so to. It, I don't know if I should even say it on the radio, but it, so this has been profound and sacred, and I'll take it to the mundane. Father, what I thought about is you were saying that your marriage, you're, com- you're comfortable with how you've lived it for 20, 30, 40 years. What came to my mind, like I am not a golfer, Right. But I understand golfers who are serious about golfing, golfed a long time, and then they go get lessons. And the golf pro teaches them how to swing correctly. And the next three months of their golf game is garbage because they're trying to swing correctly and they've been swinging incorrectly for their entire career, so to speak. And I know that that's profoundly mundane, but it, it, it's also, I love practical analogies. It, it just made me think for 40 years, you live a certain way. It is very uncomfortable to say, I have to behave this way. Anyway, that's what like, you saw go on <laughs> over here. <laughs> that's just going scary. That's a great huh? analogy, personally. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, and it's also helpful to know that it's going to be hard, and it's going to yes. get harder before it gets better, and that gives some hope as yes. well, because the evil one would want us to just give up then when it starts to get hard. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah, perse- persevere. Look at what you should be doing. And then, and then, you know, figure out, okay, what steps can I take to get to where I need to be? I mean, you may not be able to do it in one huge leap. You know, that's fine. But, you know, what are the steps I can take to get to the goal? Yeah. If I truly love my wife or my husband the way that I ought to be, the way it should be if everything was perfect, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How now do I get to that? Well, it's interesting because you've made a couple of things you've said that really struck me too. You kept saying truth, which was which I think really important given Satan is the father of lies. So your book is bringing truth out. But the other thing that you said in your book that we talked about a little bit earlier was married couples should be experts on love. 
But the reality is most of us don't really know what true love is Mm -hmm. because we don't have the, I guess, the fundamentals of what that really means. Because you you say, and I'm going to say this incorrectly, but there's four components on really, truly loving, I think it is. Benevolence. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about that a little bit? Because I think we need to understand what love really is in order to understand how we even begin to get there. Well, let's start with what love isn't. It's not a feeling. It's not an Oh, come on. <laughs> There you go. I know. It's a, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, oftentimes at weddings, I will point out to the couple that, that it actually doesn't take a lot of love to do what you're doing today because the emotions are high. Yeah. But after a few weeks of being together, uh, the emotions might not be so high anymore. <laughs> and after a while, maybe it happens twice a year. And, and so that doesn't mean you don't love each other because the emotions aren't there. You know, when, when you look at marriage, uh, at love rather, and you say, okay, there's a vow to love one another, that doesn't mean we're going to have happy feelings toward one another every day for the rest of our lives. It means you're going to serve one another. And so the, the points, the, the four points that you're talking about, first of all, it has to be benevolent, which mm-hmm. is of goodwill. So seeking the good of the other. And then it has to be reciprocal. You know, so you can't just be in love by yourself, and you can't love somebody who doesn't love you in return, you know, and in, in a relational sense of that love. And so it, it has to be reciprocal. Two people both seeking the good of one another. That brings about a communion. So when two people are both seeking the good of one another, there is a union of persons that happens, and that must be based on a fundamental similarity. So you technically can't be in love with your dog. You can love your dog in a sense, but but you can't actually have a relationship of charity with the dog or with ice cream cones or, you know, we use the word love for so many. I love what a noble effort. <laughs> so that that's fundamental similarity, of course, is our humanness. When we're talking about our love with God, it is sanctifying grace. That's what brings us into fundamental similarity with God because that's his life. The whole point is that true charity, two people looking out for the good of one another. And then in marriage, it's not just that there is a union that's there, because there is even with friends and so on, when you've got two people looking out for the good of one another. There is a different kind of union, and that is actually the central point of this book. The question is, what is united in marriage? And it's interesting, because as I ask people that question uh, before I wrote the book, you know, what happens to your soul when you get married? It's like, oh, you get sanctifying grace and you get actual graces. I said, right, but you get that in the other six sacraments too. So what is it that happens to your soul? It's like, well, you get grace. It's like, right, but something happens in the other six sacraments to your soul and you get sanctifying grace and actual graces. What happens to your soul when you get married? Not one person could answer the question. And so that is the central point. God unites the souls. That's the point Jesus made. What God has united. What did God unite? And so people say, well, it says, you know, that the two become one flesh. And so I even point out, St. Paul talks about that and says, do you not know if you have relations with a prostitute, you become one flesh with her? God didn't unite that. And in the marriage ceremony, assuming that a couple has been chased, their flesh has not yet been united. The consummation comes later. 
But the priest, right after the couple makes their vows, says, what God has joined, let no man put asunder. What did God join right at that moment that the priest can say that? It's souls. the souls. Mm-hmm. It's, and that, that was the point that especially I wanted to make sure, that's why I asked Cardinal Burke especially to look at this, because that's the question. Is that correct? Is this in line with the church's teaching? And he said, yes. Praise the Lord, because that, you know, it just it seems so obvious to me, but, but it's like, well, let's, let's just make sure that that's what it is. So the two are literally, truly united. So when, when we can say, okay, this reciprocal benevolence brings about a union, a communion of persons in marriage, that is an entirely different kind of union than in any other relationship that we have in this world. So that so much becomes so much has gotten clear. So in matrimony, I think it's the only sacrament where the ordinary minister is not an ordained minister. It is the couple themselves. And when when you said what you just said, it can't be any other way. It can't be any. No one can. I don't I don't even know how to say that. It has to be that the couple is the minister because they're ministering themselves. Is it because of the covenant? Because, Father, you also talk about how marriage is a covenant, and that's so critical. Does that go along with Maybe, what John's saying? I'm trying to figure it out. Well, it, it is. So, so to first, what John's saying, to, to, to point that out, what you are doing in marriage is you give yourself away 100%, mm. and you receive the other person 100%. So if you look at it from that perspective, number one, there's nothing left of you to take back. You gave 100% away. (laughs) There's nothing left of the other person to reject because you have received the other person 100%. You've taken on the identity of the other. The other's taken on your identity in that sense. The two are one. Again, that the priest then who is there, I mean, the one difference is that baptism can also be administered by somebody who's not ordained in case of emergency. Mm -hmm. But under normal circumstances, yes, it's either a deacon or priest or, or, or bishop. So in this case... The priest or the deacon or the bishop is there simply to witness the marriage. But you're right. The couple is the minister, are the ministers of the sacrament to one another. And that is what makes this sacrament, in one of the ways, entirely different from any other. This is the only sacrament that that happens. But it's the only way it could. I mean, as the priest... You can declare something. You could say, well, okay, you're going to give yourself to her, and she's giving herself to you. Like, well, that's not going to do it. You have to do it. It's your choice. It's a free, an act of the will to freely give yourself and to freely receive the other. And in doing that, God then unites the two to be one. So, again, the couple is not obviously just a bystander or an onlooker in what's going on while the priest is doing something. It's like, no, you are the ones who are active and doing this. The priest is the one who's watching and just making sure everything was correct. Only the couple can do that. Hmm. That kind of puts a whole new perspective (laughs) on what we've been doing for so many years. And it's interesting, too, because we've talked about love. There's different kinds of love. And, you know, marriage is where we give and take and we our love is perfected. And one of the things I, I loved about your book, too, you talk about 
at the beginning of creation, there was chaos and God put order to the chaos, but that order was love. Mm -hmm. The chaos is overcome by love. And in our marriages, there's a heck of a lot of chaos sometimes because of the world around us. Mm -hmm. But what I'm getting a sense of is the more we give ourselves away, the more we suffer, our love is perfected in that suffering. And the more that happens, the more the chaos goes away because the spirit of God continues to hover over that chaos and pours into it that love. Is that accurate or did I just step way out of bounds? No, no, no. It's absolutely accurate because actually if you look at it and say, okay, what is the actual example epitome of what marriage is? It's Jesus on the cross. Yeah. It's the suffering of our Lord as he dies literally to himself to give his life to his bride, the church. And so a couple, when they do that in in the giving and receiving, there is a dying to self and a reception of life from the other. And the more ordered things are, meaning the more true charity there is, the love that is there the more peace there's going to be. So the chaos, as you said, comes in from our own sins as well as from the world outside. The more that we love, the less that we're going to sin, and the less chaos comes into the relationship. So therefore, the more order there is and the more peace there is. Mm. And so you hit it right on the head. And again, go back to that point that St. Paul makes when, when he's talking about marriage and he says, I'm talking about Jesus and the church. That's the marriage of Christ and the church took place on the cross. So it is a suffering, you know, to die to ourselves. I mean, we come into this world as the most selfish little creatures on the face of the earth. We <laughs> mm-hmm. have to in order to survive. Yeah. And then the goal of Christian life is to become selfless, to learn how to love, because that. Love is the, the opposite of love is selfishness. Yeah. Oftentimes on, on uh, a wedding homily, I'll, I'll point out to the couple, look, in making this vow to love one another, you are essentially saying, I'm never going to be selfish again. Oh. Now, do we really expect that as you walk out of here today, that's going to happen? I said, no. But do we expect that by the time that God calls you home, you will have learned that and learned to be selfless? Yes. That's what marriage is about. It is to become saints. It is to do, I mean, marriage is, is set up to make you holy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so beautiful. If people would see it that way, you know, when you have children, you serve, you have no choice. You know, you serve and you serve and you serve and you have to become selfless. Mm-hmm. It's easy to do for your kids, but it's much more difficult to do for your spouse. That's where the focus has to be. Yes, exactly. And this could sound real. Well, it actually does sound a little hard and scary, <laughs> but it could, it could be even harder or more scary if we didn't realize that I'm quoting from your book and you said everything in marriage flows from the spiritual union with God. Because I think that's the thing. We just need to remember there's that third strand. Now we have to rely on that third strand. We have to turn to that third strand. And as you say in your book, we each individually have to have a personal relationship with God. We have to be praying. You know, prayer is the foundation of all this. But God is going to give us. He's put this indelible mark on our souls through this sacrament of marriage, 
which also means, obviously, as you said, all the graces, but even more than that, he can help us because love and and so funny my husband and I got in fights with couples at the beginning of our marriage because they would say oh yes love is an emotion love is a feeling we said no 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 love is a decision love is a decision you make every single day and that's essentially what you're saying here it's it's a choice it's a decision and I love when you tell us that as the love grows in marriage each day there is going to be more love to give it's the nature of love it either increases or decreases so if you're not growing in love it's actually going backwards mm. It, it never be. remains the same. Yeah. Father, when you said the expectation is that you'll never be selfish like week number one, probably not likely. The expectation is by the time we head for judgment, we will have that figured out. I think you and I, I can't remember where it is in the book. Uh, and I know we've got like a minute left, but I felt like you said that on the day that we receive the sacrament or administer the sacrament of matrimony to each other, all of the grace necessary to get to that point of perfection where we are not selfish any longer is present that day and it's a matter of calling on it yeah so again as as a married couple god gives all the grace for everything's going to be necessary in your marriage but you have to open your heart to receive it and you know because you look at it all the changes that happened in that first year for the couple mm-hmm. and then when you have babies and all mm-hmm. the changes that happen with children and they, of course then they become teenagers and then everything becomes chaos and then when the kids have moved out and the two of you are alone, all the, the graces they have to deal with all that. But it's there for every single day, every single aspect of your marriage. But you have to open your heart to receive it. It's not going to be forced on you. You have to ask. The Lord is there. He's at the center of your marriage. But now you have to make the choice to make him the center of your marriage and then to be able to receive that grace that he so desperately wants to give. Well, I would certainly say that this time together has poured graces on all of us and our listeners. Yes, it has. Again, folks, God's plan for your marriage, an exploration of holy matrimony from Genesis to the wedding feast of the Lamb by Father Robert J. Altier on Sophia Press. Get out and get this book. As we're closing, Father, we always ask uh, if you would close us in prayer and bless us in that way, we'd appreciate it. Certainly. Let's ask our Blessed Lady to pray for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Commending all of you to the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus, intercession of St. Joseph, protection of St. Michael, the guidance of your guardian angels, and the intercession of your patron saints. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and your families and remain forever. Amen. 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 Father, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, God reward you for your for your goodness, and I think we scraped about uh, maybe about one one hundred. I know. <laughs> so that sounds to me like an invitation, or you're asking us to invite you back for additional conversations. That's how I interpreted that, Father. <laughs> if the Lord wills, that's what we'll do. All right, that's awesome. So thank you so much, Father. Thank you, dear listeners, for being with us here today, here in the family room, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room. Sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.